welcome to the Life and Times of Captain Barney Miller podcast. I'm your host, Mike Boy. Joining me, of course, is the rookie, Mr. Chris Dashu. Now, let me tell you something. I normally, I'm normally the one doing the bulk of the conversing here. Been that way all my life. All right. Yes. <laughs> That's what Dietrich says. I feel harassed right now. <laughs> I'm also only wearing a robe. <laughs> yeah, what? And gravity, ladies and gentlemen. That's God, true. Jesus. On this episode, we're talking about three episodes of the original Barney Miller show. We're talking about episodes six, seven, and eight from the fifth season, Accusation, The Prisoner, and Lone Shark. Accusation coming out October 12th, 1978. Another Max Gale directing job here in which Dietrich is accused of lewd conduct of a kind of mousy redheaded lady. I think mousy redheaded ladies must have been like Danny Arnold's thing because they seem to be all over this show. And always getting into frisky trouble, mm-hmm. especially with, I mean, Steve Landisberg. What a catch, huh? Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Those dulcet tones really do it for the mousy redheaded ladies. So I, I don't know why I wasn't paying attention in the last episode, but yeah, Luger's out of the opening credits, ladies and gentlemen. We only have now Dietrich and uh, Levitt, and Levitt doesn't even show up in this episode. It's almost like we're going to need a Levitt watch. Yeah, well, and I was going to say, Luger, he might not be in the credits, but boy, he's in two of these three episodes. Very happy about that. But this yeah. one, we've got George Murdoch back as Scanlan. Fuck that guy. He's just the most shitheel of shitheel cops, right? Like, he is the stereotype by which I assume the shitheel cops of the time all really hewed close to. Uh-huh. Like, hey, how you doing? I'm a cop and I'm a no-nonsense cop. It's like, okay, asshole, I get I get it. I mean, I love George Murdoch as an actor, and he can play a heel, a villain, like nobody's business, and he's just playing the shit out of Scanlon. You just hate him when he shows up. Yeah, because he's always so unbelievably antagonistic towards everybody. He he sets everybody else off the moment he comes in. He's antagonizing Harris. He's antagonizing Yamana. He's just a an asshole of the highest order. And like, and it's almost one note, but at the same time, because it is one note and he's used so sparingly, it works. Mm-hmm. Because if he was in every episode, you'd be like, oh, we're sick and tired of this guy already. But the fact that it's used so sparingly, I think, kind of works for his character. Yeah, if he was an every week or even an every month thing, forget it. I mean, it just would yeah. not work. But having this occasional antagonism against Barney and the boys of the one, two, I think, yeah, that's okay. You know, he's always trying to, like, prove a point in this one. He's the one. He's the bearer of bad news coming in with this uh, Doris Whitaker character played by Miriam Bird Nethery. And she is this uh, frisky redhead that we're talking about that was uh, all about Dietrich. My goodness. She's what? um, There were some youths and they were writing bad things. And so uh, was that line, that amazing line that uh, Dietrich has? Uh, she's looking at the mug books and uh, she's like, oh, they're all so young. He's like, that's a common trait amongst juveniles. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Dietrich with this season is we've kind of mentioned it before, and I think it's worth mentioning again. He is really being given the bulk of the show. It feels like at least the bulk of the jokes and not 
not unappreciated, but this is the first time where I was like, what is the point of this story? Like this, I don't know. It there, There's no way Dietrich would do what they're claiming. And frankly, the fact and the fact that everybody is like, yeah, right. Almost immediately kind of undercuts any of the tension of the episode. Because, again, we know that nothing happened. Right. Yeah. And he's given a chance to explain himself very quickly. So it's right. not like, you know, he comes back to the precinct. The news arrives before he does, but he shows up right. pretty quickly thereafter. And then it's like, oh, well, let's go into Barney's office. He explains what happened and it's all pretty much good. It's not one of these like, well, I don't know. Maybe Dietrich secretly is a heel. Maybe he's really this bad guy. Cause you're just like, no, no, he's, you right. know, Dietrich, you don't know this other character. And then when you have seen her, it's like, well, she's very infatuated with him. Maybe she's infatuated with any man that she can lure back to her apartment. I mean, it's a kind of a bad message in 2022 where it's like, you know, believe all women type of thing. And in this, it's just like, no, clearly she was in the wrong. And, you know, Dietrich was, Dietrich did nothing bad. Yeah. And honestly, it's, I wouldn't say it's a problematic storyline, but it hasn't aged well. No. In, 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 and again, I don't want to be the, the wokester of the group. Uh, send me on to Martha's Vineyard, why don't you? Mm-hmm. But I don't want to be the wokester of the group and say, well, that hasn't aged well. Or that's problematic, but it ain't great. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not great. It was, you know, making a false accusation about someone sexually harassing you just d- downplays all the people that are being sexually harassed that do need to be believed and should be believed. Mm-hmm. So it's not funny. But at the same time, all things considered, it's handled better than, say, the rape episode handles its oh, titular issue. Yeah. Or the beating of your wife or any of those kind of things. Yeah, it it plays out a lot better than that. And especially just because you have seen this uh, character, this redhead character, and you know Dietrich. So it's just like it's so it's laughable. And, yeah. And which works for a comedy show. So it's like, all right, that's great. Yeah. We've got a couple more storylines going on here. We have the return of Michael Tucci. He's coming back. He's going to show up at least, I think, two more times throughout the show. He was in the he was in the hash episode. He played a character named Fred as opposed to his character here, Ruben. And I love how, you know, I I don't think he's supposed to be playing a teenager. Thank goodness. But whenever I see him, (laughs) I just always think of him as Sonny in Greece, which I think came out this same year. And it was just like, oh, my God, how old is this guy? Greece comes out in 1978. He's born in 1946. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm always a teenager. No, you're not. 46, 56, 66, 76. You're 32 years old, dude. <laughs> oh, oh, that's it's it's like Adam Baldwin yeah. in the chocolate war. Like you're a fucking adult, pal. Yes. <laughs> like, you're an adult, he's, sir. He's 10 years older than Baldwin was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, dude, you're but you know what? Like Michael Tucci does enough. He's not given much to do. Given less to do now than he was before, frankly. He's, I mean, frankly, I think he's a pretty darn good actor. And he he makes me want to see him in more things. Like, I haven't seen The Paper Chase in forever. I forgot that he was in that. I always liked Gary Shandling's show. I remember him being good in that. He, he's he's fun. He's a lot of fun. And yeah, I I like this, and I like that they play him off 
of this rabbi character and that we've got the rabbi character, uh, Joseph Greenblatt, who is running a casino. <laughs> he, he got permission to run this casino one night, one night casino four months ago. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and then of course having to send Yamana on the call was pretty good. He's just like, "You got any money I can borrow?" No, good. <laughs> well, and then he comes back with the slot machine that he puts on his desk. Yes, and yeah. he's just sitting there at one point playing it. Which again, I I feel like you and I have probably been keeping our eyes on Yamana more than before, given where we know where the season is going. Oh yeah, and the real life implications of where the show is headed. And it. I, you know what they're giving him in these three episodes? They've given him a lot more to do than they have in a long time. It's kind of refreshing. Mm-hmm. I like, and Yamana is, I mean, he's playing into the character tropes that we already know he has, but in a way that we haven't seen, like they're bringing the gambling into the precinct in a way that we've never seen. It's normally him talking on the phone to a bookie. And all of a sudden there's a literal slot machine on his actual desk, which Slot machines now, man. Like knowing what slot machines look like now. Oh <laughs> yeah, little box just sitting on his desk. Oh, it's I know. Priceless. It's great. It's again this show when this show is operating at full power. It really you can't beat it. It's just so funny. And even when you have something like Jack Sue just standing at his desk playing a slot machine. Again, knowing the character, what his foibles are, it's just, it's hilarious. This episode was written by writing pair Wally Dalton and Shelly Zellman. And this is their first episode that they write, but they are going to write, gosh, I think like eight more over the years. So they do this one. They also do The Prisoner. They'll be doing one called The Harris Incident, which color me intrigued. Toys, Middle Age, Open House, The Brother. So they just work over a period of like two years and then they're out of here. But I'm I'm pretty pleased with what they're doing. It's just unusual because we were talking about how you get the same names over and over and over again. But with this, yeah, we got some new new blood going in the writer's room. Yeah. And, you know, Wally Dalton is is an actor as well. So he's an actor and a screenwriter. Uh, kind of interesting. Yeah, the there's a different sensibility to this episode that the show hasn't had, which is that I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it's it feels uh, me. I don't know. I just it's weird. That whole thing with the, the character of Doris Whitaker, is so, it feels like it's not this show in a lot of ways. Like the, the precinct hasn't had to deal with something like that yet outside of the rape episode. And so. It's a weird plot line to be going on, but it kind of works, I think. Mm-hmm. But again, like it's unbelievable that anyone in the precinct would get uh, uh, accused of sexual harassment. That's kind of what I'm getting at. It's like it's an interesting storyline because it's not played the way I was expecting, almost because it has to be played the way they're doing it, because we know that no character is actually going to do this in the precinct. Even right. like the even if it were Scanlan, I'm not even sure I would believe it. <laughs> you know what I, I mean? I could see Luger doing it, but just being like not realizing that he is sexually right, harassing, like grabbing a yeah. woman's ass type thing. Right? Yeah, and we used yeah. to do that all right. the time at the pool hall. Come on, yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, exactly. Like I could see that doesn't make it okay, but like that's the level of which I expect the show to operate on those kind of topics. So it's weird that it's it's Landisburg and it's a woman just saying like he like sexually assaulted me like, yeah, okay. Like all right. Mm-hmm. Weird plot line to be going down, but they kind of nail it. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I do like the payoff at the end when she wants another ride home and everybody just immediately turns to their typewriters. <laughs> yeah. Not me. Not <laughs> today. Like, I'll take a cab. It's like, yeah, good one. Yeah, you will. <laughs> <laughs> the second episode also written by Wally Dalton and Shelly Zellman. This time we've got Reinhold Ouija in there and we've got our good friend Gnome Pitlick is back behind the director's chair. The prisoner and this is funny because I was just watching a, um, a documentary on Stephen King, and they were talking a ton about Shawshank Redemption. So when Jeff Corey comes in here as this prisoner that's been away for 30 years, he gets caught with a gun, and he knows that that's breaking his parole. And I'm just like, man, you are so much like Brooks. You know, you can't face the outside world. He just wants to go back to prison. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I I totally get it, man. But really, what's that play here? We've got relationship problems. We've got this whole thing of um, Barney is no longer living with Liz. And then compare that to Luger, who's getting engaged to somebody he doesn't want to get engaged to. This whole like weird thing about agonists. I'm like, all right, man. <laughs> I, I don't understand why you're so not happy about this. I think I understand why Luger's not too happy about oh, it. Oh, are we going back to the Luger is gay thing? Uh, let me put it this way. If this, if this episode doesn't put another drop in the bucket of it, I don't know what would because he's awfully upset about being married to a woman. <laughs> or this woman, maybe not women in general, but this woman. Maybe we use the transitive property and go one step further. I don't know. Everything about Luger has been weird the way he's yeah. written because my feelings on the Luger character are this. He was introduced in the first season of the show. He has changed with the show and become obviously a part of the show. At least last season, he was billed as a main character in the show. Not so much now, but I feel like his character like maybe he's not, maybe they're not giving any continuity in between his times on screen, mm -hmm. but it feels like they're laying the groundwork for him to be just a generally weird character. And you couldn't write a gay character like this in 1978. That's true. We've had gay characters on this show. You saw how they were handled. Oh boy. Yeah. <laughs> or mishandled depending it's, on your viewpoint. This is such a star studded episode. Every guest star that's in here is somebody, I mean, all the way from Peggy Pope, who's playing Francis Newbound, the widow of a cat burglar who has now taken up the family business. Jeff Corey, I mentioned, is Ralph Timmons, this prisoner. His parole officer, played by none other than Bruce Glover. Right. I was so happy to see that. And then we have a priest coming in, a Catholic priest. I definitely fucked up with that one. A Catholic priest coming in to offer some solace and some kind words to Barney, played by the one and only Henry Jones. I mean, everybody is somebody in this episode. And don't forget, Peggy, Peggy Pope has been on the show already twice. She'll be on the show three more times. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, like you've mentioned, this is honestly, this might be the most packed episode of the show that we've seen just from just from Jeff Corey and Bruce Glover alone. Oh, just yeah. those normally it's one or the other. It's not both. And, you know, obviously their Chinatown connection, notwithstanding, but Jeff Corey and Bruce Glover together in this episode makes it kind of like a, a big deal. But then, yeah, Henry Jones and Peggy Pope just puts it over the top. And then, oh, by the way, James Gregory is also front and center in this episode. So it just, it helps, I think. 
This is a good episode. I enjoyed this episode a lot. Yeah, me too. It looks like James Gregory has lost a little weight to me. He looked a little gaunt in his face. Yeah, he it's it's been a while. I don't know why it's been a while, but uh, Otto Bruno's book, The Files from the Old One Two, might have an answer for that, which yeah. you can pick up now on Bear Bear Manor Media. I don't know. He I, I don't want to prognosticate too much, given that we know where one of the other co-stars is going, unfortunately. Yeah. But yeah, he looked a little different. And it's yeah. weird that he's getting married. Like, what? Where did that? What? Where's that coming from? And man, can we just talk about Barney's whole marital thing? Like, whoa. OK, she's gone. So like, who gives a shit now. We'll just do whatever we want with the storyline. Like, she's never coming back. I mean, that's it. So, yeah. I mean, don't we get one more appearance from Liz at some point? Sure, but I mean, at this point, one is about as good as none, right? Right, like, exactly. She's not, a, she's not a constant in the show anymore no. and should never have been. And now, frankly, this should have been the way they handled the character is just like off screen. Barney talks about her. It it kind of de- it, it, it enters his work life as much as he lets it, but it's not overwhelming his work life and getting in the way of it. That's how it should have been. She should, never should have been showing up at the precinct and palling around and, oh, hey, Mike, and blah, 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 blah. like none of that. Like it just because. Because now where we are, like it, the show is operating at full capacity with the best version of the show I think we've seen up until this point. And there's no place for characters that aren't in the precinct. And I do like that we have Harris pretty much full mustache in this. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. He looks great. Yeah. Though I have to say, I think in the next episode, he has less mustache than he does in this one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think we could tell which episode was shot first. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, because all of a sudden he goes from full mustache to a very not weak mustache, but a, 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 a thinner mustache, to say the least. Yeah, this one, you know, in the last episode, we dealt a lot, obviously, with Dietrich. We had just a very little bit of Wojo and Harris. I mean, it was really very much like the Dietrich and Barney show in the last one. This one, I think our all of our guests are foregrounded so much that we do get a little bit of the guys, but I think so much of this is about these guest stars in this one. And that's absolutely fine by me because we've got, like I said, some real power players. If you look at if you look at the show, there's five, six people, five in the precinct six, if you count Levitt, there are four guests this episode. There are yeah. almost as many guests as there are main stars of our show. So yeah, it's a crowded episode, but in a good way. And we've honestly never seen an episode like this one where the guys in the precinct are given or put in the backseat to everything else and everything else is interesting. It's not like the baby broker or strike where it's like, okay, some of this is not nailing is not operating on full cylinders. Bruce Glover and Jeff Corey are great. Peggy Pope is great, but obviously she's already been in the show before. And Henry Jones is also fantastic. And James Gregory is great. So every it's, it's almost like everybody else could have taken a week off. Like we'll just let, we'll let them do the show guys, let them handle it. And somehow it actually works. Because normally the way I look at this show is it's all about the cast, the main cast, and the guests are playing kind of the fill-in parts. This is kind of the other way around, and I it kind of works. Mm-hmm. The last episode we're going to talk about is Lone Shark, which premiered November 2nd, 1978. A lot of writers on this one. I was super surprised. So it's story by Judith Ann Nielsen, Richard William 
Beben, I suppose it's uh, pronounced, Mario Rokuzzo and Bob Colleri, and then teleplay by our old pal Tony Sheehan. We got known Pitlet back, like I said, this whole season, other than just a very rare thing where we had Max Gale direct. Uh, I think he directs two more this season, plus he just did that one. I mean, this is the known Pitlick season. He is all over the place with this Oh, one. yeah. This, I think... Had things played out differently, this might have been the best episode for Jack Sue to go out on because he is fucking fantastic. This is a Yamana episode, if ever there was one. And I'm glad that there was one because up until this point, there hasn't been one. No. <laughs> it's that look, Jack Sue, I think for me, is always going to be the character that I wonder why they didn't do more with him on the show because he has always felt like. In a lot of ways, you could say it's always felt like he's the character that almost should never have been main cast showing up all the time because he almost last season, he was like never there. Obviously, we know why. But even in the first three seasons, he was always if Max Gale and Hal Linden are A and Ron Glass and, and you know, let's say Abe Vigoda were B, Jack Sue might be C or D even yeah. that, the way that they treat his character in this show. Which is unfortunate because Jack Sue's timing is fucking perfect. Oh, yeah. And we've got every single thing that we know the character of Yamana being represented in here. We've got filing. We've got coffee. We've got a little bit of talk of gambling. But it's 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 amazing. Like, we hit all of those things. It starts off with Nick going through these old pictures, talking about his graduation from the police academy. He's been a detective or has been a policeman for 20 years and no one paid attention to his anniversary. So he is really carrying a grudge in this and I respect him for it. I really like how pissed off he gets for being taken advantage of and no one paying attention to good old Nick. You know, he's there to do the filing. He's there to clean up the bulletin board. He's there to make the coffee. He's actually a detective that no one is allowing him to detect. And I really like the attitude that he's throwing at Barney, especially when he goes into Barney's office. He's just like, yo, well, you always got Harris and Wojo in here. I never get to sit on the couch. I'm like, nice. Way to go, Nick. And just just think, when he left, he went to Tim O'Leary's bar. Yes. (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That's all I was thinking. It was like, I'm going on to Tim O'Leary's. And they're going to close that down. (laughs) Like, I bet they are, Nick. That's what it reminded me of that. Like, I'm going and I'm sick of this shit. Like, but in that episode of Twilight Zone, was that Twilight Zone? Was that Night Gallery? Night Gallery, yep. What was that? (laughs) What was that nightmare that we watched? Uh, It felt that same, like, you know, uh, wistful shit. But in this show, it's earned. 100%. Oh, yeah. Because he has been given nothing to do this entire show. It's almost in a way, kind of a condemnation of the show as a whole. It is, yeah. I loved that. It was like, you know, you haven't given the only Asian American actor on the show anything to do. Uh, We haven't? Yeah, you haven't. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And he's not going to be here much longer. And this should have been how he went out on the show. Yeah. I'm like, I'm with you. Like, if he hadn't come back, I would have been like, you know what? You nailed it. Not only did you nail it, you nailed it in a way that I didn't expect you to nail it. Most people probably wouldn't have expected because at the time, that would not have been the way to do it. I mean, when he says, you know, I'm going out and I'm betting on this horse and I might not even be back. I was like, I kind of hope that his horse comes in and he just never comes back, you know, but of course he 
the horse doesn't pay off. He has to come back. We've got the coffee gag at the end and everything, and he'll be back for one more episode. And we'll talk about that next month. But yeah, I kind of wish that he had just been like, okay, peace out. And that was it. Last Mike time. You seen yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Drop him just like Mike. <laughs> Does it Landisberg is like, he's like, well, that was, uh, yeah, he could have just said, you know, fuck you. And he's like, I'm pretty, you know, Harris is like, pretty sure he did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> two not words. so many words. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think he just used two. Yeah. That was really yeah. nice. Yeah. I love some of the other stories we have in here. We've got the, the African-American nerd from Revenge of the Nerds, but here he's much younger uh, as this yeah. loan shark, the titular loan shark. Lamar, uh, the very gay character from Revenge of the yes, Nerds. Yes. Magenta and orange. <laughs> yeah. And I do like the uh, the pawnbroker at the beginning when he says to Harris, we get a lot of you people at my pawn shop, you know, cops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The, uh, I don't know. Every everything like the B plot also really works. Larry B. Scott's great. Mario Recuso plays a perfect. I don't know that guy kind of character. I don't know what you would call that character. Just like a nebbish little shit. Like, oh, he is great in this. Yeah. 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 And I like as I saw him, I was just like, I've seen this guy so many times before. Where have I seen him? And man, does he's got a huge filmography. And it's like, okay, I'm going to go have to go through all of these and try to figure out where I've seen this guy before because, yeah, he's got a great look to him. You're going to be seeing him five more times on this show. Uh, Guns, Resignation, Advancement, The Arrival, and Old Love. So all the way until 1982. So all the way essentially to the end of the run of this show. That's great. But he had been acting since 1960. So, yeah, it's, again, like, that's the thing about this show that I think obviously you love and I love a lot is just seeing all these character actors, these great character actors. And a lot of them, like, a lot of them work past this show. A lot of them work on several episodes of this show, but they're always coming in and doing something interesting or being given something interesting to do. And yeah, I mean, that's the biggest success of this show, I think, is really just highlighting character actors from the 60s and 70s and in the 50s, frankly, sometimes if we're even going that far back. Ironically, uh, one of the last roles that he worked on was uh, a show called Luck, a television series centered around characters who are tied to the same horse racing track. Was that that Dustin Hoffman show that ran for like one season? Yeah, yeah. And was that a Showtime show, I think, or was that HBO? I can't remember. What a cast, though. Nick Nolte, Dennis Farina is in here, Richard Kind. I mean, it's... It, a great, great cast, man. The fucking Ted Levine is in this. It's like, holy she shit. Big fat person. Was she a great big fat horse? <laughs> uh, yeah, that show ran from 2011 to 2012, and it had 10 episodes. Mm. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. And it was so funny. I can't remember which episode of the projection booth I had. Um, I was talking with Maitland McDonough and she was talking about when she got a tattoo in the seventies and she's like, Oh yeah, I couldn't go to a tattoo parlor in New York because it was illegal. And I was just like, really tattoos were illegal. And to hear, I mean, here we are in 2022, ladies and gentlemen, and tattooing, like, I'm a freak because I have no tattoos. And here's an episode way back in 78 where it's just like, oh, my God, you have a tattoo? Oh, my God, Bernie, you have a tattoo? That's wild. (laughs) 
<laughs> and he was and and like that whole scene is as I, I mean i have a tattoo that you can't see when i'm normal and dressed but like barney if i were undressed you could clearly see my tattoo and it's it's so weird it's just strange yeah to yeah. see all these characters that i consider to be rather progressive all of a sudden just like shutting the fuck down it's like, yeah what what <laughs> And fucking uh, Wojo, just like oh, all these guys in the Marines were getting all these tattoos. I'm just like, yeah, <laughs> that's kind of what you do. And, and yeah. you doofus. Mm-hmm. Or as uh, or as Landisberg so aptly put it, these two bozos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I love Rokuzo, George Willis, that uh, he has a tattoo now that just says moth because he couldn't handle <laughs> getting the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the I think, again, unsurprisingly, the best interaction in this episode is Larry B. Scott turning to Steve Landisberg and saying, what do you want, honky? Yes. To which Landisberg just explains to him what honky means. I love it. And then he just, Larry B. Scott's character just goes, all right, I don't want none of this. I don't want no, whatever you're selling. I don't want none of it. <laughs> and like, that is the appropriate reaction to the human alien that is Steve Landisberg. Yes. These are some really solid episodes this yeah. time around. Oh yeah. yeah. It's again when this show is operating at full capacity with everybody on the same page, it there's a reason why Otto wrote the book about this show. Mm-hmm. There's a reason why people still love this show. And there's a reason why I would wager if you're a police officer, maybe not someone my age, but a police officer, say your age or older, or older than even people like in their 70s, like that have been in police, they would say that this is their favorite cop show. And I would understand why, because it doesn't, it's not a cop show the way you expect. It's almost the anti-cop cop show. And I I mean, these episodes are a good reason why, because almost nothing in these episodes has to do with this, these guys being cops. They just happen to be cops. And because they're cops, that means they're being tasked with dealing with this bullshit. otherwise they you know what i mean like otherwise they would be doing literally anything else but this just they're treating the police in this show like it's just another job and i kind of appreciate the show for that in a lot of ways because where we are now with cops is obviously a far cry from where we were in 78 but i do think it's important to see shows like this because we can remember a time and a place where we didn't have the feelings that we had towards cops. Not that I'm saying it's not justified. In a lot of ways, it really is. But in a lot of ways, it isn't justified. And a lot of people have feelings towards cops that maybe they don't deserve necessarily. Because again, they are still doing a job, quote unquote. And I think that that's an important thing that this show does show is these are just guys doing a job. If anything, they could have been firefighters even. Like this show might have worked better if they were firefighters in a way. Because they do spend a lot of time sitting on their asses. So... I, that's why I love this show. The show works still because it's not about them being cops. That just happens to be where the show is set. Yeah. As far as the age, I mean, I guess anybody that was old enough to get a tattoo on VE Day. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get one for VJ Day? Me either. <laughs> yes. That was so good. <laughs> God. <laughs> VE. I assume he got it for VE Day because my headcanon is that Barney Miller was in the east in the european theater no he said he was 15 okay 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 yeah like i just like to believe i always like to believe that barney miller's older than he looks right because hal linden's a timeless man i just saw an article the uh today what was it like 91 uh, it's still working and it's like why should i retire i'm like wow okay hey hal 
why haven't you done our show, baby? Yeah, come on, babe. Come let's, on, Hal. Let's talk. Give us about, a little love. We yeah. we are giving you plenty of love. We're spending our hard-earned time talking about your show that I think again. I think it's the cop show that any cop show should be compared against. Unless we're talking like a serious cop drama. This is the cop show that I think is the only one really still worth watching, even though we've had plenty of cop shows since. But it there is something timeless about this show. Like there really is. I'm kind of surprised at how timeless this show does feel in a lot of ways. Some stuff, not so much. But I, I, the show can't be faulted for occurring in 78 when society hadn't necessarily caught up with some of the more hard to swallow things for people in 78 Mm -hmm. like rape and gay characters but hey it's a progressive uh police precinct they have an african-american character and an asian-american character and an alien american character (laughs) (laughs) you can't convince me he's not an alien i mean they essentially set it out right yeah (laughs) and i'm just so curious to see where all these characters go i mean i I am just here for them. And I so enjoy the interactions. I mean, when you get your good co-hosts coming in, your good storylines, it just works. And these three episodes really just fired on all cylinders. I agree. And like you've mentioned, the characters are going on a journey together, but it feels like some of them are being given the opportunity more than others, especially this season, Landisberg and Ron Carey, who's been absent for three episodes now, surprisingly. it's just it's it's interesting because they have changed, but in a lot of ways, they've kind of stayed the same. So we'll see. Max Gale's character is like Wojo is not given much to do recently. No, no, it's very strange. I have a feeling that he might come back strong. Obviously, when we talk next month, there is the Harris incident. So we're going to be seeing that there's one that is really going to focus around Luger. And there's one that is really going to focus around Levitt. So we're going to talk about the Vandal, the Harris incident and the radical. So very excited to talk about those with you, Chris until then, where can people find you and what you're up to? So as for the stuff I work on specifically, cstachew.com, C-S-T-A-C-H-I-W.com. That's my link tree. Go there for all the projects that I am on, but you and I started a podcast network, Weirding Way Media, where we talk, where we have all kinds of shows, not just movies, not just TV, all kinds of stuff. You can find that at weirdingwaymedia.com, and you should. What about you, Mike? You can find everything that I do with Chris and with other people and my by myself. Uh, I believe it's pronounced menage a trois. Uh, you can find that over at weirdingwaymedia.com. So lots of good stuff. Definitely check it out. Thank you, everybody, for downloading this episode and listening to us talk about Barney Miller. Nothing like us talking about something that is, uh, what, uh, 78 88, 98, 2008, 2018, 42 years old. Yeah, that's that's older than years young, baby. That's a lot. That's older than a lot of people in our audience here. But uh, man, if you love Barney Miller, this is the place for you. Thank you so much. I want to thank uh, John Walker for doing our theme song. I want to thank who does our uh, our Maggie. Maggie. I want to thank Maggie Diod for doing our uh, our beautiful cover photo where you can see Chris and I in the Barney Miller board game. Thank you. Yeah, I have nothing else to add to that. Uh, I should wrap it up with something. And until next month, make sure you stay safe. (laughs) Please do for all of us. (laughs) And until next month, don't do any crimes.